to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Instagram and Facebook to make sure you are getting all the latest details concerning Outlander Season 6 and 7, as well as Diana Gabaldon's newest book, Go Tell the Bees That I'm Gone. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of 410, The Departs Court. Holy smokies, this episode is full of all kinds of drama, guys. I really like this episode. I think it's one of the better episodes of season four. And honestly, the first half of this episode, I am absolutely in love with, like absolutely in love with. There are so many great scenes between Brie and her parents and her family members, not to mention the stuff that's going on with Roger and then all hell breaks loose. It really just has a lot of drama, which is what I watch Outlander for. (laughs) But yeah, this episode has a lot to break down. So let's get into it. The first thing that I want to make sure to mention, because I don't know if a lot of you know, is that this episode actually started out a little bit differently in the script. So there is a deleted scene out there. If you go to YouTube, I'm sure you can find it of a scene between Jamie and Claire where Jamie comes back to the house after beating Roger to a pulp and Claire treats his hand and they talk about how each other is feeling about learning that Brianna has been raped. It's a really touching scene where they realize that it's kind of hard to put into words all the things that they're feeling, but that they are both feeling the same thing. They're feeling confusion and anger and sadness, the whole gamut of things. They understand each other at the beginning of this episode, and then quickly it breaks down into complete and utter chaos. This episode actually takes place over the course of, I think, three weeks, four weeks. I think that's how I ended up calculating it up. It doesn't seem like it takes that long, but when you calculate in all the travel time that's involved for a lot of the characters, it ends up being about three or four weeks. I have a few scenes that I actually want to talk about kind of in depth, and then there are a few little things sprinkled in there that I want to make sure to mention. But the first thing that I feel like is super important to this episode as a whole is that first scene between Brie and Jamie. Now, this episode is a bit different from others in the fact that it very much felt like a continuation of the episode before. It literally ran smack into it so that this scene that Brie and Jamie have together happened within a matter of an hour or two from when Jamie beat up Roger. That's when this episode picks up. So I find that very interesting that all the fight's gone out of him and he's just this very tender, gentle, loving father with Brie when he literally just beat the piss out of some guy just a few minutes ago. It kind of baffles, but I honestly love this scene between Jamie and Brie. It's one of my favorite scenes that they have together in the entire series so far. 
Don't get me wrong, I really hope we get some amazing scenes in season six, but we just didn't get very many of those scenes in season five. So I thought that this scene was really great because they're drawing on their shared experience of sexual assault. And I really got the impression that Jamie, he's not upset by how much Brie knows, but he kind of wishes that she didn't know all the gory details of what happened with Blackjack. I can't say that I blame him because that's a lot for anybody to know. Like, you're hesitant to share that kind of thing with your significant other, let alone for your child to know that. So I can kind of get where he's coming from, but I think he also quickly embraces the fact that, okay, she does know, and maybe I can use my experience in this area to help her. They talk about a couple of really important points. I think Jamie is best placed to help Brie understand that there's nothing she could have done to stop Stephen Bonnet. And I think Jamie, probably more than anybody else, is the one that can understand how she's feeling and how to make her understand that. This scene is actually a way tamer version of what happens in the books. What happens in the books is pretty violent and aggressive. I mean, I think it still gets the point across, but I was actually very taken aback by how Diana wrote it in the books. So I thought that this was a good compromise the way they did things in the show. Bree's confusion and anger at herself over this whole mess in the very beginning, I'm just talking about the sexual assault. We'll get to the arguments and all of the confusion later. But when we have this scene between Bree and Jamie, Brie is beating herself up because she believes that she could have done more. She could have fought back, that she was stupid for going into a dark room by herself with him, and that it was her fault for all intents and purposes. Here in the 21st century, after the Me Too movement and everything, it's easy for us to step back and be like, well, no, it wasn't her fault. But I think that. I do get where Brie is coming from a little bit. Her self-blame is halfway justified, I guess. I mean, she did follow him into a dark room and women know that, you know, that's not necessarily a good idea. Like, you don't follow strange men into places and get yourself in those kinds of situations. However, Stephen Bonnet's a monster and nobody forced him to rape her, okay? So... It wasn't her fault. And I think that's what Jamie wants her to understand is it's not your fault that he's a terrible person. Nobody forced his hand in this matter. He chose to do this to you. I think Bree's guilt stems from the fact that she didn't fight back at all. And when Jamie tells her it took courage not to fight, if you had, he would have killed you. I think that helps lessen her guilt a little bit, but honestly, what really gets through to her is when Jamie provokes her into trying to hurt him, and then he grabs her and doesn't let go, and he's like, I could kill you right now. I could snap your neck, and there's nothing you could do to stop me. Could you? And she has to admit that no, there's no way she's breaking his hold on her. There's no way she's getting away. There's no way that she's actually going to hurt him that there's absolutely nothing that she could have done to prevent what happened to her. I thought that that was a really great moment between the two because afterward, when Brie just kind of deflates 
Jamie holds her and then they kind of have this moment where she asks, did you fight back against Jack Randall? And I caught it this time. Somebody had mentioned it to me a few, like, a few episodes ago. They sent me an email when we were talking about this, um, how Sam does this shrugging motion as Jamie. It's something that is written into the books. It's a kind of nervous tick that Jamie has, that he shrugs like his shirt is too tight when he feels uncomfortable. And I noticed this a few times throughout the series, but... I'm always looking for other moments when Sam puts it in because I know that he tries really hard to keep these little nervous ticks that Jamie has. Another thing that he does in the books is he taps his fingers against the side of his leg when he's pondering something or when he's deep in thought. So when Brianna mentions Jack Randall, Jamie is out of focus in the background and Bri is in the foreground in the focus of the camera. But you can see Jamie do that shrugging motion. So even with 25 years worth of time after that has passed, it's still really hard for Jamie to talk about because it was that scarring to him emotionally. But he realizes that it's really the only thing that's going to help his daughter for her to know that she's not alone in how she's feeling and for him to help her through it because That's something that he never had. He never had someone that was like, you know, it's going to be okay. I know it seems like it's the end of the world right now, but just give it time. Time will help you heal. But there was a very key conversation that they had where she mentions that she wants to kill Stephen Bonnet. Like, would it help if I killed him? And I love how Jamie says, so you'll have killed a man before then, like the most rhetorical question. And she says, well, you think I can't, don't you? And he is literally the only person besides Claire that could be honest enough with her to be like, I think you'd get yourself killed if you did something stupid like that. It all boils down to the fact that Brie feels like Stephen Bonnet took something from her and she wants it back. And that's exactly how Jamie felt with Jack whenever he was raped by Blackjack in season one. We saw the aftermath of that play out over the course of the first half of season two. He felt as though his honor had been taken, and that was the whole point of the duel in Best Laid Schemes. Brianna says, Mama told me about the duel that you tried to kill Jack Randall. She said, what were you trying to accomplish with that? And he said, I wanted to take back my honor. And she said, you don't think that my honor is worth getting back? So I think that this is just the difference between life experience because Jamie's dealt with Culloden and it's like he said, you know, vengeance didn't seem so important then when you see hundreds of men dead. And Jack Randall was one of those men, so he left him to God. He wasn't going to worry about things that were beyond his control because Jack Randall was no longer in the land of the living. And if anybody was going to hold him accountable for his actions, it was going to be God. He's telling Bree in this moment, it doesn't matter whether you kill him or not. Like, that's not something that you need to have on your conscience. Leave him to God. He'll deal with him and all in good time. So I thought that was very sound advice. And it's followed up at the very end of this scene where she says, 
I keep thinking if he was dead, maybe I could forget. And he says, you will not forget, but time will let you heal. And that is all from experience. And I love that he hugs her and kisses the top of her head and just holds her because this is it. We don't get to see them have a relationship until season five now. Because things are so rocky between them moving forward, I wish that we had got that reconciliation at the end of the fourth season. And I won't go into that now. I will save it for my season four finale chat. But um, yeah, this is really the last one of the last scenes we get between Jamie and Brie where they're actually showing that they're building a relationship My next topic of discussion is Claire and Brie as a mother and a daughter. They have a few scenes in this episode that were absolute fire. I felt that Katrina and Sophie did such an amazing job. This is one of those on-screen duos that I love in this series. And I know a lot of people aren't crazy about Sophie Skelton and that's okay. You're allowed to feel that way. My personal opinion is I feel like she is talented when she lets herself be in a scene and she's not overthinking it. I think she's really great about doing that with Katrina. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I love Freedom and Whiskey so much is because it is a lot of scenes with Brianna and Claire. And I feel like that is one of the strongest on-screen relationships we see in Outlander is that mother-daughter bond that they have. So the first scene is a pretty important one. They're discussing whether Brie wants to have an abortion, a very touchy subject. But also, how do you expect a girl to feel when she may or may not be carrying a rapist's child? Like, I'm sorry, but that would be very hard to consider a blessing. Like, she didn't ask for this to happen. A violent man attacked her and assaulted her, and now she's potentially going to have that guy's child, like, wow. You know, that's a hell of a decision to make. I mean, yes, this baby is half her, and I'm sure that that's always in the back of her mind. But I think what really drives it home is the potential that Roger could be this child's father, even if it's a very slim chance. And that's why Brie ends up keeping the baby, because she says, you know, Even if there's the slightest chance that it may be his, I want to keep it. And I think that all boils down to Brie asking Claire, what would you do? Did you ever consider having an abortion? And Claire's like, what with you? Because it blows her mind. She never in a million years considered getting rid of Brie. But it's like Claire said, it was a completely different situation because Jamie and Claire prayed for a baby. After they lost faith, they just wanted a child and it was hard for them to get pregnant and Brianna was their little miracle baby. It just so happened that she was conceived right before they were separated. But because Jamie and Claire wanted her so desperately, Claire never in a million years would have considered aborting her because it's like she said, Claire wanted Brie and Jamie wanted Brie and they loved each other. It was a completely different story. So I don't really think that you could ask your mom for advice on something like that if your mom's never really been through something like that. But I think it's a default setting for all girls that have any sort of relationship with their mother to ask for advice and want to know 
if you were in my situation, what would you do? I think that's a very natural response for women in general. We like to talk to other women and get their perspective on things. So I think this was a very natural scene. The dialogue was very organic. And I felt like overall, this was a conversation that could actually happen between a mother and a daughter. And I never for a second got pulled out of that scene and thought, okay, that's cheesy or okay, that's a little bit melodramatic. There were moments in this episode where I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But this scene and all the scenes with Claire and Brie, I never once felt that way. The second scene that was super important between Katrina and Sophie was the scene by the fire. After all hell breaks loose and they're trying to formulate a plan to get Roger back, Brianna tells her mother, look, I'm staying. He's right. I'm only going to slow them down because I'll be big as a balloon by then, but you have to go with them. And Claire's like, there's no way in hell I am leaving here, not in a million years. I would never leave you and Lizzie here alone, especially when you're about to have a baby. Brie brings up a good point, and it makes me chuckle a little bit whenever she tells Claire this because it's so true. But she says, After everything those two have done, you're really going to sit there and tell me that you trust their judgment? (laughs) Talking about Ian and Jamie, obviously, but she's kind of right. Like, if their natural inclination and their good judgment is to beat holy hell out of a man that supposedly did something without giving him any time to defend himself, if that's your idea of good judgment, like, I don't know. Like, do I really trust them to go all the way up to upstate New York and get him back for me? So yeah, I totally get what Brie is saying there, but also to be Claire in this situation, oh my God, she's being pulled in a million different directions. She's got Brie on one end who's pregnant and she knows that if she goes with Jamie and Ian to find Roger, she most likely will not make it back for the birth of her grandchild. And we're speaking about a time in history where medicine was not so hot, and a lot of women died in childbirth or as a result of complications from childbirth, childbed fever, pleural fever, like Claire almost did. So to take away her expertise as possibly the only person that could save Brie from a potential complication, she's going to take herself out of the equation and go find Roger? Like, that would be so hard as a parent, to make that executive decision. And Brie kind of takes the the decision away from her. She said, no, you know what? Roger's going to need a doctor. He's going to need to see a friendly face because the last time he saw Ian and Jamie, they tried to kill him and he'll run. He won't see them as rescuers. So I understand Brie's train of thought and everything. And they're having this argument. Claire is adamant that she is not going with them. And here comes Jamie. You just see him pop up in the background and he's kind of hovering. It's almost kind of comical. But also I feel absolutely horrid for him because he's been thrown into this situation. And yeah, he made a bad decision, but he knows that Claire and Brie are both so pissed at him. All he wants to do is make it right. He wants to help. And so he's just hovering there waiting for a break in their argument. And he says, 
oh, well, she can go to Aunt Jocasta, and he's so eager to have a plan and make things better, but there's just nothing that's going to make it better. After they decide that Brie goes to River Run, Claire just kind of looks at him, and he wants to apologize, but he doesn't know exactly what to apologize for, and he doesn't want Claire to be mad at him, but at the same time, he doesn't think it's his fault. And I totally get where he's coming from because, yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily the best decision to beat the piss out of Roger without, like, asking who he was, verifying identity, making sure Lizzie hadn't misidentified him in any way. But also, it's like he says, you told me he had gone back. How was I supposed to know? And you you knew it was Stephen Bonnet and you said nothing to me. Then Claire looks at him and says, you told me you hit a tree, which is what he tells her in that deleted scene from the very beginning of the episode that I was telling you about. He mentions that episode, I think it was Rent in season one, where he punches the tree because Dougal's really pissing him off and it would be better to hit the tree than to hit his uncle. And he references that in this scene that he hit something because he want, he needed to get his anger out. And Claire was just like, oh, you hit a tree because that's what he did in Rent. And Jamie doesn't say he didn't hit a tree. He just kind of remains silent. And like he says, let her believe that he hit a tree because he didn't want her to think badly of him. He doesn't complete that sentence, but that's exactly what he's thinking. He knows that Claire holds him on a pedestal and he doesn't want to taint that. So he let her believe that he hit a tree because it was better than the alternative that he almost killed a man because he thought it was Brianna's rapist. Alternately, what else did we expect him to do? I know one of you mentioned in the comments for this episode that this was a time when you took care of things on your own. And if they were being historically accurate, Jamie would have killed Roger. End of story. Case closed. So, yeah, I think he was within his rights. <laughs> I know I talked about this a little bit last episode that I kind of long for the days when people were allowed to take care of things on their own. I think that people had a little more accountability then. <laughs> we'll not get into the politics of it, but yeah, when you knew that you were going to have an angry father showing up on your doorstep if you dishonored his daughter, it kind of made you think twice before you did something stupid. So I'll leave that there. But... We'll um, talk about the ginormous part of this episode, the Kaby-Laby, as I <laughs> refer to it fondly. <laughs> this episode was a complete and utter clusterfuck, y'all. It was full of so many miscommunications, lies, secrets, and assumptions that there was literally no choice but for it to go south and to go south in a fucking hurry. <laughs> like... <laughs> And it all starts with Lizzie. I blame Lizzie for this. I know a lot of us blame Lizzie. And then there are the few that stick up for her and are like, well, she was just doing what she thought was best. And she was trying to protect Brie, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Lizzie was the first one to make an assumption, but she wasn't the last one. Okay. And so I'm glad that she finally spoke up to Brie. And she didn't do it because she thought she did something wrong. She did it because she wanted to make Brie understand that she didn't need to be afraid anymore. Well, guess what, Lizzie? You uh, sold the wrong man down the stream, okay? 
And Brie very quickly realizes, she's like, who do you think did this to me? Oh, shit. It was Roger. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No. Let me say, if anybody is an innocent bystander in this whole mess, it's Roger. It is so Roger. You guys can give Roger all the shit in the world that you want, but this man literally has had a hell of a time. He cannot have a carefree day, carefree year, whatever. Something is constantly happening to him, and this keeps going through season five and and season six. He is literally the character that Diana likes to pick on the most. And there was this great meme that says, yay, we're renewed for season six. And and then um, it was something like, did anybody tell Roger? (laughs) And then Roger, it's Roger. And it's like, oh, fuck. Because literally, guys, like, it's just the worst. I feel so terrible for Roger. I don't even know where to begin on all of this mess. It really is the biggest, huge mess. You've got Lizzie that assumed and kept a secret. So she assumed that Roger was Bree's rapist and kept it a secret that Jamie beat the shit out of him. Then you've got Claire who kept Brianna's secret that it was really Stephen Bonnet that raped her. You've got Brianna, who was also keeping that secret, that not only did Stephen Bonnet rape her, but that she also slept with Roger. Then you've got Jamie that's assuming that Brianna is lying about being raped and that she really slept with Roger and that he's the father of her baby. And that in doing so, she compromised his honor and almost caused him to kill an innocent man, which, yeah, he did almost kill an innocent man, but uh, wasn't Bree's fault on that account. And then you've got Ian that's also assuming that Roger assaulted Bree, but honestly, I think he's the least at fault of everybody in this room. So when Bree hauled off and slapped him, that's the one that I had a problem with. I know that a lot of people have a problem with her slapping Jamie, I'm not necessarily one of those people because I do think that Jamie was out of line. You don't ever accuse your daughter of lying about being raped. Like, that is just crossing a line. And yeah, his pride was probably hurt a little bit, but you just don't do it. And especially don't do it, like, yelling at her. That's not okay. Granted, I don't think necessarily that he was being a self-righteous bastard. I don't think that he's a savage. Like, the name-calling on Bree's part... I just wish that Brie could have a civilized adult conversation. I get that she's very upset and I get that she's very, very angry and she's scared for Roger. At the same time, her attitude is not fixing anything. And in fact, it's making it a lot worse because it's just pissing Jamie off too. And when they start fighting back and forth, it's a lot. It's a lot. What bothered me the most was how Claire was just silent during all of it. I mean, I get that she wanted to be there for her daughter because her daughter needed her, but also she needed to stand up for Jamie a little bit in the fact that he didn't know. It's not his fault that Bree wanted to keep secrets. He was just doing what he thought was right He was given the wrong information about a lot of things, and that in no way was his fault. So I kind of 
didn't like how Claire handled this situation. But I think probably my favorite part of that whole scene was after Jamie finds out that Ian sold Roger to the Mohawk, which, by the way, he was just as shocked as everybody else in that room, and I caught that look on his face. He wipes everything off of the table and throws the chair, and I love that Brie looked at him and says, no, you do not get to be more angry than me, and he is pissed. I That's like red Jamie level pissed, and he looks at her, but he gets himself under control because She's right. She's the one that's been impacted the most out of all of this really bad judgment going on. And if anybody has a right to be pissed off about what's happening, it's her. Yes, Jamie looks really bad in the light that has been shed on this entire situation. But he wasn't the one that was assaulted. His husband wasn't the one that was sold upstream to the Mohawk. He's not pregnant with a rapist child. Like, none of this stuff is happening to him. Yes, he's dealing with the fallout of it, but if anybody gets to be that pissed off that they're, like, swiping everything off of table and breaking pottery and throwing chairs, it's gonna be Brie. So I love that line in particular. Now, do I like that she's like, my father never would have said the things that you said to me, blah, blah, blah. No. Because in all honesty, I kind of do feel like Frank might say something of that nature. Um, I don't feel like Frank is as good of a guy as Brie thinks he is, I guess. To top it all off, I don't really think that Jamie said anything that out of line to like make Brie that angry. It's just, it's a mess. It's all a mess. (laughs) Oh man. All in all, the biggest takeaway from everything that happens in this episode is the breakdown of the relationships that we see building. We see Claire and Brianna arguing. We see Jamie and Claire arguing. We see Brianna and Ian arguing. Lizzie's no longer trustworthy. The only person that's come out of this situation kind of unscathed is Myrta, which he wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place. So shocker there. Myrta, what can he do? You know, Oh, just sit there and maybe agree to go hunt down Bonnet after everybody leaves. I'm like, Jamie, what the fuck did we learn about this situation? We don't keep secrets. But apparently, keep it a secret whenever you get him and bring him back here. I'm gonna kill him. (laughs) We learned nothing. This is what you're telling me. We learned nothing. Jesus Christ. And then Myrta and Ian are just nodding like, yeah, we're gonna kill him. And we're back to square one. I do, despite all of that, feel really bad for Jamie. In that goodbye scene that they have where he comes up to Bree and he says, I will find him last. I will not rest until I do. And she says, I'll hold you to that vow. He had everything that he wanted when Bree showed up. He got to meet his daughter that he never thought he would meet and he developed a relationship with her, and he thought that she kind of reciprocated that. We saw that in the scene where they were talking about Claire and how content she was to be here. And he says, you must blame me for her coming back here, especially after everything that happened to you with you coming to find her. And Brie looks at him and says, well, I came here to find you too. 
Bri had finally started to accept the fact that Jamie was her biological father and she's learning who she is and she's understanding that she's in no way betraying Frank by developing a relationship with Jamie. We're starting to see all of this finally start to work its way out and then this happens and it's like everything's going backwards Jamie is losing his relationship with his daughter over something that wasn't even his fault. It was that Lizzie had the wrong person and Claire wasn't communicating with him. And because of that, all of this happened. And he's going to do everything he can to make it right. But he's worried that it's not going to be enough that he is losing his daughter. It's really sad, honestly. And also to know how pissed off Claire is at him as well, that has to be beyond bearing, honestly. I mean, the guy's already blaming himself enough because his daughter's rapist is also the same man that he helped escape from the noose and took to safety only to have him rob them, kill one of his best friends, And now he's finding out that that same man is the one that raped his daughter. So as if the man is not going through enough self-blame in this instance, now he's got Claire pissed that he didn't tell her that he beat up a man that supposedly raped Brianna. I mean, I'm sure if he had told Claire that, she would have been like, oh my God, you beat up Stephen Bonnet? He was like, what? No, I beat up this random Joe Schmo. And she's like, well, you beat up the wrong man. You got to go get him. Oh yeah, that would have solved a lot of problems. But then again, we wouldn't have had the last four episodes of season four now, would we? So I do really feel bad for Jamie because he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. God bless him. It's really awful. I just, I feel terrible. But honestly, the person that I feel the worst for is Roger. And I felt like Rick Rankin did such an amazing job, especially in the final scene that we get. Rick Rankin did a phenomenal job. There was one scene where he was talking to the man that he was being held prisoner with, and he was starting to keep track of how many days he had been on the march. And he said, yeah, I've been with these guys for a week now. It's Tuesday, by the way. And, you know, he's keeping track of the days and he's taking in landmarks because he wants to be able to get back to Brianna. He never really thought twice about it. And when this guy, Caleb, asks him, well, why on earth would you even want to go back? Like, why does it matter? And Roger looks at him and is like, I can't die like this. It's not necessarily a matter of getting back even. Yes, he, you know, never for a second gave up on being with Brianna, but it's also about I'm not willing to give up and just die out here like this. Like somebody is going to know what happened to me, where I am, who I am. I'm not going to be some nameless person that dies on a march north up to some Mohawk village. So that determined nature in Roger, but also the fact that we're seeing how much he loves Bree, despite everything that's happened to him. He still loves her. I know he mentions it in a couple of episodes, but he's actually starting to put together the fact that it was Jamie that beat him to a bloody pulp, which also has to be extremely confusing. So when we get to that final scene where he's escaped and he's found the stone circle, which is 
ironically enough, come full circle from that very first scene we got in season four where the natives are building the stone circle. And now we come to episode 10 where we see that circle in the 18th century. Roger comes upon it and he just starts crying. He's so lost. Like, what do I do? Because he doesn't want to leave Brianna. He doesn't want to leave without her. But also, he's wondering, well, if it's her father who beat me up, then what do I do? I mean, what does she tell him to make him so angry at me? Why would he try to have me killed? Is it worth staying? Does she want me anymore? And he's thinking, also, if I don't go through here, the Mohawk are going to catch me again. It's a very confusing and conflicting thing for Roger. And I think Rick did such a fantastic job bringing that to life and showing us what's going through Roger's head in that moment. It always brings a lump to my throat when I'm watching that scene. It makes my heart break because I feel Roger's confusion and longing and all he wants is Brie. But in that moment, he's wondering, does she want him? Should he go back? Should he risk it? So much confusion, which I think ultimately really made the start of the next episode that much better. So in closing for this episode, there were a couple of little things that I noticed that I'm going to throw all into one little category. The first is the music in this episode was absolutely phenomenal. Bear McCreary was on his A game this week. Especially in the numbers where he combined the Native American themes with Roger's theme, and it kind of just wove very seamlessly from this bluegrassy 20th century feel to the drums and flutes of the Native Americans. It really seamlessly threw all of this together so that we're getting new feelings. It's not a combination that we've ever heard before, and we don't hear it very often, but it's very unique and gives a very interesting emotional feel to it, I guess. But there was also probably one of my favorite musical moments of season four was the music that was playing during that final goodbye scene before everybody leaves the ridge. It was such a melancholy feel. I think that Bear does a fantastic job in evoking the right emotions. I love the saying that music is the way emotion sounds. And I think Bear does a fantastic job conveying that and bringing that to life because you really do feel how all of these characters are feeling in that moment. It's this big epic swell, but it's so bittersweet because you've got Brie and Myrta and Lizzie that are separating from Ian, Jamie, and Claire. And Lord knows if they'll ever see each other again. It's very sad, but also like this climactic moment, like this is a make it or break it moment for them. There was also a moment when Roger was headed up to upstate New York with the Mohawk, where the Mohawk were all sitting around the fire telling stories, but it didn't have any subtitles to it. I had never noticed that before, but I did draw the conclusion that it was probably for much the same reason that we didn't have any subtitles for the Gallic in season one. 
You didn't need the subtitles to understand what was happening. And secondly, if you're seeing it from the outsider's perspective, whether it's Claire in season one or Roger in season four, you're not meant to understand what they're saying because you're in the shoes of either Roger or Claire. And so while you can definitely get the flavor, you know what's going on, but you don't need to understand what they're saying. So I thought that that was a really cool parallel that I'd never noticed before. And then the last thing that I thought was really beautiful, like my artist eye, my creativeness, and my love of beautiful clothes caught Jocasta's dress. And I think this is my favorite dress that Jocasta ever wears. It's that navy blue. And the front piece on the dress is embroidered with these beautiful navy and silver flowers. And she's got this blue kerchief. Oh my God, it is so fabulous. I love Jocasta's dresses in general. And Terry Dressbox work in the first four seasons is absolutely phenomenal. So any chance I get to fawn over beautiful clothes, I'll be there. Trust me. Alrighty. So that brings the analysis part to a close. But before I move on to listener comments, I want to talk about my quote of the episode, which was from the very first big scene that we had where Jamie and Bree were having their discussion about their sexual assaults. And Jamie brings up a really good point to Bree. He says, do you think yourself a coward because you couldn't have fight off a wolf with your bare hands? It took courage not to fight. If you did, he would have killed you. It took courage not to fight. And I think he's talking about himself and his own experience just as much as he's talking about Bree's experience because it's like Bree said, well, did you fight back against Jack Randall? And he says, I gave my word not to fight for your mother's life and I would do it again. It takes courage to let something happen to you that is absolutely horrible because the alternative is worse. And I think that Jamie saying that to Brie, I mean, Jamie's a man of action. And for him to say that, no, it actually took more courage to not fight back, that was a really meaningful thing for him to say, I think. As for my performance of the episode, I really felt that this was an ensemble performance. I don't think that this episode would have been near as good as it was if the leading cast, i.e. Katrina Balfe, Sam Hewen, Sophie Skelton, and Rick Rankin hadn't been on fire this episode. Each one of them had a moment where I was watching them on screen and I was like, wow. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into some listener comments because we definitely need to hear what you guys had to say this week. Melanie Wyatt says, I thought some of the best scenes in this episode were between Claire and Brianna, especially when they discuss whether to terminate the pregnancy. Sophie and Katrina seem very natural with each other. I also like the scene where Brianna is having the nightmare where she tells Roger she's pregnant and he turns into Bonnet. It was a good way to show what was going on in Bree's mind. Another scene I liked was between Roger and the other captive when Roger explains how he's counting the days with the string and they laugh together because Roger will need a much longer string. That was a good one. There were a few like little comedic moments I think the one that stood out to me the most was when Ian got down on one knee and proposed to Brianna and Jamie was like, get off your knee, Egypt. 
Oh my God. That was like one of the laugh out loud moments for me. But yeah, like I said, Claire and Brie, their scenes together, Katrina and Sophie are really good as a mother-daughter duo. And the nightmare scene, yeah, that was a good way to kind of get in Bree's head a little bit. I mean, I think Sophie did a good job of getting us in her head anyway, but that was a good transition from Bree's emotional and mental state to it all coming out about Roger. I thought that was that was really well done. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Melanie. Joan Cohen says, this episode was a real roller coaster. Jamie and Brianna's relationship starts to move to a deeper level as he helps her work through her self-recrimination. Their scene was very well done, just enough to spark a visceral reaction in the viewer, but not as cringy as it was in the books. Brianna seems a little more at ease after their conversation, knowing she can talk to him about their shared experience. It was so important for Jamie to hear her acknowledge how Claire is happy being there with him. Loved the reference to the Innisfree poem. And to hear that she came there to find him too, especially after the tentative start to their relationship. It's also good to see Claire and Bree's bond continue to grow. How difficult it must have been for Claire to present Bree with possible choices for her pregnancy, knowing the dangers of each. Another moment of wanting to do anything to keep your child safe, but not always being able to. I thought the confrontation scene was brilliantly done. Bree, understandably, is full of righteous anger, especially when Jamie talks about his honor and accuses her of lying about being raped. She's in full Fraser mode when she slaps him and calls him a savage. It's not so different than Jamie's action toward Claire when they have their fight about Leary. Yet, I've seen people complain about Bree and give Jamie a pass. We can really see how much Bree has matured when she reigns in her anger and tries to brainstorm ways to rescue Roger. I'm glad we got to see Roger's determination to get back to Bree and see him demonstrate that he has some survival skills since the show doesn't always paint him in a positive way. I did get a chuckle out of the PB&J foreshadowing, one of the few lighthearted moments in a very intense episode. All in all, really well done. Yeah, the scene where Claire and Bree are talking about what they miss the most about the future is really cute. And I felt like it was another one of those scenes where Claire is reading her daughter very well and giving her an opportunity to talk about what's bothering her or at least escape what's bothering her. And I think that Claire, especially not having anyone to talk to when she came back to the past, I bet she would have given anything to have someone to talk to and say, yeah, you know, I really miss cheeseburgers. I mean, she almost got burnt at the stake as a witch as it was, like, let alone like, what the hell's a cheeseburger? <laughs> so I think that she really read the situation well, like Brie was missing home. And she's also going through a lot. So to give her daughter a chance to reminisce about the good old days. I mean, everybody likes to do that every now and then. Yeah, I feel like it is very popular. And I reading some of these comments from this post, Joan, I do feel like it is very much a thing in this fandom to give Jamie a free pass. I find myself defending Jamie a lot. I'm not going to lie, but I don't think I've reached the point where he can do no wrong. He has some royal screw-ups. Helping Stephen Bonnet was one of them. I mean, I'm a stickler for the rules. I am a rule follower to the core. I don't know that I personally would have helped Stephen Bonnet escape the Redcoats. I mean, I think I might have been like, okay, I'm not going to turn you in, but you're on your own, buddy. I mean, that way it wouldn't have been on his conscience 
You know, all of this stuff that happened afterwards, that has to suck. So I do feel bad for Jamie in a lot of respects, but I don't think that it was necessarily right for him to go on in in righteous indignation about his honor and how if Brie had only told him what was happening, blah, blah, blah. No, like Brie has just as much of a right to her secrets as you did to the fact that you didn't want anybody to know that you beat up the guy that raped her. So I don't know. I get both sides of it, I guess. I do tend to side with Jamie. I don't think that surprises anyone. I think I just understand him as a character better. Last comment is from Casey Filson. She says, ugh, this one. It's just even more miscommunication, which I know is why we have such a good story, but I feel so bad for Jamie in this instance. At the same time, I wish he would have kept his mouth shut and let Brie and Claire talk and explain things first before calling Brie a liar. Yes, girl. Yes. It's not that he didn't have a right to feel that way, but like, don't yell at your daughter and call her a liar when you're talking about whether or not she's been raped. Like, oh my God, bro, stop talking. Anyway, back to Casey's comment. She says, I can't really blame her reaction there. She was horrified about what happened to Roger and she needed love and support because they were both wronged. Of course, she's going to want to be treated like Frank treated her and not be accused of lying by one of the people she needed the most support and connection with in that moment. I honestly dread this episode. It's very gut-wrenching on multiple levels. Yeah, I never thought of it that way as far as her comparing Jamie to Frank. Honestly, though, I think that Frank kind of coddled her a little bit. She was his baby girl and she could do no wrong in Frank's eyes, I feel like. So to then have that held in contrast to how Jamie views her, Jamie holds everybody accountable for their actions, even Claire. Even though he loves Claire deeply, he still holds her accountable for her actions and we see that throughout the story. So I think that that's just a key difference that Brie had kind of lulled herself into that headspace where she didn't really realize that that was a key difference between the two men. But also I think that Brie puts Frank up above most men. Like she was very naive about who he actually was as a person in a lot of respects. Because I think that we all like to think that our parents are larger than life as children. And then oftentimes as we grow older and we gain more life experience, we begin to realize that, oh, they're just people. But I think that when children lose their parents before they reach adulthood, they have this idealized version of their parent in their head. And I think that's where Bree's at now, that she holds Frank to a much higher standard than he actually lived up to. But because he's dead and gone, she never had that image of him spoiled for her in any way. She never had that wake-up call to be like, oh, well, he's just a person. He makes mistakes too. So yeah, I think that that is probably where that anger is coming from and that longing for her dad, who was always on her side, you know? Which I think is probably also why Claire clings to her daughter in that moment because she knows that she can always talk to Jamie and explain things later. But Brie in that moment needed her to be there for her. So that's probably where Claire's coming from in that moment too. Good thoughts, Casey. And with that, we're going to draw to a close on this week's episode, The Deep Hearts Core. This week, we got some interesting stuff going on. Um, Just yesterday, we had released a scene from season six from the very first episode, Echoes. 
It was a scene where Jamie and Claire were talking about the mysterious Christie family and who Tom Christie is as a person and how Jamie's not sure whether he should trust him or not. And then it turns into a little bit of a steaminess at the end. I did share the screenshot of the scene along with the article in Entertainment Weekly on the Sassnack Files social media. So if you would like to take a better look at that and read the scene for yourself, you can certainly find it there. I'm recording this episode a little bit early this week because tomorrow, Saturday, October 16th, is Chicago Wizard World and I get to go up and see Sam. I don't get to meet him in person. Um, A bit of drama if you follow me on TSF Obsassinax Facebook group. I got approved for a Sam and Graham photo op earlier in the week and then literally 12 hours after I got pulled off the wait list for that. Graham announced that his driver on the current production that he's working on in Scotland came down with COVID and he had to self-isolate for 10 days so he wasn't allowed to come over to the U.S. and do Wizard World. And so I had my dream ripped away from me. I'm very sad about it, but also thinking it may be for the best because there were going to be a lot of safety measures in place and it wasn't going to be your uh, regular run-of-the-mill Comic-Con photo op so to speak. So maybe next time we can do it without masks and plexiglass and it will be much more worth the wait. So I'm trying to stay positive. We've got the uh, panel with Sam Hewen and Duncan LaCroix still tomorrow morning. I'm going with a couple of friends and I know a few of my fellow Obsassnacks are going to be there as well. So I hope you enjoy and have fun. I will Make sure to post if there's anything really noteworthy that goes on there as well. But yeah, that's about all the new stuff for Outlander that has come up in the past week. Next week, we're going to be discussing 411, if not for hope. Lord John makes his return to season four of Outlander. Love me some David Barry, so I'm really excited to talk about next week. And until then, you guys stay safe out there, and I will chat at you later. Bye.